You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we are working to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear good news and as we scatter to share it. The Dark River Gloomy Shade The Final Enemy The Grim Reaper Untimely Frost Slipped Away Past the Setting Sun Counting Worms Six Feet Under Passed On These are just a handful of good or bad ways that people speak about death. Death is something that no doctor has ever found a cure for. No sangoma or religious ritual has ever been able to prevent. And it always comes too soon. It is something that has changed the whole human race ever since Adam. in some amount of fear and it still feels unnatural because it is. We already heard that yesterday was the memorial service for Bronwyn Exner, someone who the world would tell us had her life cut short. We mourn for Bronwyn with the family Because as humans, we instinctively know that there should be something better. And as Christians, specifically, we know that there is hope. But I would ask you this morning, what hope? Maybe you would say something like, the hope of eternal life, or the hope of resurrection. That is good, that's that's true. But Jesus is about to show something in this passage that is quite radical. It may or may not, but it may come as a shock to you, what Jesus says. So let's follow along in the story, beginning in verse 1. Here we find Jesus staying with his disciples in the region of Perea or Gilead. It's just on the east side of the Jordan River. John just gives us a note that this is close to where Jesus was baptized earlier on. So what's happened since the passage we heard last week, where Jesus healed the blind man, is he's continued to teach in the region of Judea and in Jerusalem itself. And the Judeans have become more and more hostile towards Jesus. The feelings against him have become hotter and hotter. And this time they actually had the rocks in their hands ready to stone him before he escaped to the other side of the Jordan River. Now Jesus and his disciples are staying there and he gets a message from Bethany near Jerusalem. It's not that far, it's like from here to Claymont. So it's an easy day walk if you're used to traveling by foot. The message is from a family who it seems that is very close to Jesus, has been very close, friends to him. Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. The two sisters we know from the famous story in Luke, 
which has given us the saying, be a Mary, not a Martha. That title comes from thebettermom.com, just by the way. But there are others. Lazarus, on the other hand, only appears here. And so right at the beginning of our story, we see what at first looks to be the, the main problem, the main conflict in our story. Lazarus is sick. Lazarus is sick enough for his sisters to be distraught. The tone of the message that they send is they're desperate. There's nothing else that they can think of to do. And maybe a little bit manipulative as well. Lord, look, the one whom you love is sick. The only thing they can think of to do, the only thing left for them to do is to get Jesus. They must have heard of some of Jesus' healings. And John tells us that, yes, it's true that Jesus loved these three siblings. So he will make everything better, right? Instead, Jesus assures the disciples, maybe the messenger as well, that no. Lazarus' time hasn't come yet. This sickness has a different purpose. It's for the glory of God, Father and Son. Now, does this sound familiar? Last week, we saw the disciples wondering whose sin made the blind man blind. Jesus explained that his lack of eyesight wasn't as a result of sin, but so that God's works could be seen in him. So what does Jesus do next? Nothing at all. For two days, he stays exactly where he is and doesn't even make as if to leave. Can you imagine the disciples that would have been going on among... Can you imagine the conversations that would have been going on among the disciples? What's he going to do? Doesn't he care? Maybe he's more worried about himself than he is about Lazarus. Well, as it turns out, the disciples thought that Jesus was doing exactly the right thing by staying there. But they thought it was for a different reason. Because after two days, Jesus invites his disciples to go with him into Judea. What? You can hear them exclaiming. You mean the same place where you almost got killed last time? They had the stones in their hands. These narrow escapes are getting a bit too narrow. Look at Jesus' reply in verses 9 and 10. Are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks around in the daytime, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks around at night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. At first it seemed like a bit of a riddle and there could be multiple parts to this parable. Many people disagree on the details, but there's something that Jesus is hinting at, something specific. This whole episode that's about to take place in this passage is pointing towards one lesson, and Jesus is nudging his disciples towards that lesson. Let's quickly take a look through some of the other things that John writes in order to get a sense of what Jesus is saying here. If you look at John chapter 1, Verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Listen carefully to these verses. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We see again in chapter 8, again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 1 John, the epistle that John later wrote, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So in this little mini parable that Jesus tells us, there's some things we can immediately pull out. Where it says the light of this world, who is it speaking about? Well, it's speaking about Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. And we also see that there are really two kinds of people. Those who walk in the light and those that don't. So the disciples are afraid for their life. And Jesus is taking their eyes from their own fear for their life and taking their eyes to something much bigger. He's hinting at eternal life, eternal death. There's something much greater than this immediate problem. And this is a lesson that will become clearer as we go in the, in the story. Jesus goes on to tell his disciples, Lazarus is asleep. And so the disciples come to the only conclusion that they can based on what Jesus has told them so far. Well, that's good news. He could do with some sleep. And we already know that he's going to get better. Jesus said so. Now Jesus gives them a bit of a surprise. No, Lazarus is dead. Even more surprising, Jesus tells the reason for things happening as they do. And that's in order for the disciples to believe. As you look back through the John's Gospel, the disciples have seen water becoming wine. And there they believed in him. And over the time that they've traveled with him, they've seen bit by bit more and more the Son of God being revealed to them, walking on water, feeding the 5,000. At the end of chapter 6, Peter confesses Jesus Christ is the one who has the words of eternal life, that he is the Holy One of God. There is something more that Jesus wants the disciples to know about him that we'll get to in this text. After all of that, Thomas is the only one who has anything to say. And I wonder if he's actually heard anything that Jesus said. Because he's kind of carrying on exactly what the disciples were saying before Jesus responded. Well, in that case, let's all go and meet our deaths. And so we find ourselves just outside of Bethany. Where the community has gathered around Mary and Martha to comfort them. Martha doesn't even wait for Jesus to get into the town before she runs out to meet him. 
And the conversation that takes place there is kind of at the heart of our text. Martha starts out as if to say, what happened? Why weren't you here? But then listen how she continues. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Martha doesn't understand why Jesus didn't answer her request. But she believes one thing. She believes that Jesus is able to raise Lazarus from the dead. She doesn't doubt for one moment that Jesus could heal Lazarus or that he can raise him. She only wonders why he didn't. Jesus meets her words with, your brother will rise again. A comfort, a promise. Martha says, yes, I believe that. I do believe in the resurrection. I believe that there will be a day when the faithful will live again. It would be like us saying, yes, I believe in heaven. Listen to how Jesus responds in verse 25. This is the center of the whole story. What Jesus has done up till now, and what he will do from now on in the story, all points to and are explained by these seven words. I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, it is good to be looking forward to the resurrection. But the resurrection is standing with you. It is right to hope in eternal life. But eternal life is nothing more than to know Jesus. Right in front of Martha is the God-man, the one who breathed life in all of its dimensions into Adam. What is life? We'll have to ask. Life is fellowship with God. Life is flourishing. Life is abundance and beauty and joy. Life is to be plugged into the vine and experience the fluids flowing through you. Life never ends, never fades, never gets boring. Life is an eternity of seeing more and more of the eternal, gracious, beautiful, loving, just, perfect God. Jesus is no longer talking about what he will do. He's not saying here that he will perform the act of resurrection, though he will. He's not saying here that he will give life. He will do that as well. He is giving a simple definition of resurrection and a simple definition of true life. That is himself. The first part of what follows, the one who believes in me will come to life even if he dies. Could be speaking about Lazarus. But it's so much more. And Jesus goes on, And the one who lives and believes in me will never die forever. Eternal life. Life in all of its dimensions. Jesus ends with a question. It's a question for Martha and it's a question for us this morning. Do you believe this? Martha responds, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who comes into the world. 
Listen to that again. You are the Christ, the Son of God who comes into the world. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you something. What does it take for Martha to be able to believe in the life who is Christ? What would it take for the disciples to grasp that Jesus is the resurrection? What would be enough for the crowds that are standing around to accept that Jesus has been speaking the truth all along? What does it take for you to accept Christ for who he is? How about a display of power and authority, like raising someone from the dead? Would that be enough? Is that what Jesus meant earlier by, I am glad for your sake that I was not there so that you might believe? That can't be it. We'll see later on that there are two very different responses to what Jesus does. And Jesus also teaches in Luke 16 in the parable, which interestingly enough is about a man named Lazarus. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So what does it take then for someone to be able to believe? Would you turn briefly to Matthew chapter 16? Here Peter makes a very similar statement to what Martha makes. If you look at verse 16, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Note what Jesus says. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, Jesus is the resurrection and the life, but he also gifts a person the faith necessary to receive that life. And Lazarus is about to become a living parable of a sinner to whom God says, come out. At this point in our story, Martha goes back into the town and calls her sister Mary. And the whole crowd follows them to where Jesus is. They haven't let him into the village yet. And then we see Mary, she basically collapses in front of Jesus and greets him with exactly the same words that Martha used, except she stops there. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus doesn't answer Mary. This becomes too much for the man, Jesus. He is overwhelmed by the sadness around him. Notice why John tells us that Jesus is so moved. Jesus is not weeping because he will never see his friend Lazarus again. He is broken with compassion for those who are broken with grief. Try to imagine, if you can, the eternal Son of God who created life, standing, surrounded by the effects of death and weeping. As the party begins to move towards the tomb, the people are a little bit confused by Jesus' emotions. Some think, well, he must be heartbroken over Lazarus' death. 
Others retort that if he loved Lazarus, well, surely he could have done something. He could have kept him from dying. Of course, this last group of people has missed something. They say, if Jesus made the blind man see, surely he could have healed Lazarus. But now that he's dead, they can't seem to see beyond that. Question, is it easier to make a blind man see or to make a dead man live? The answer, it's, it's impossible for both, for us. Both are impossible for us, but they are both equally easy for God. And so they arrive at the tomb, and Jesus gives the instruction, take away the stone in preparation for what he is about to do. Now Martha seems to have understood what's happening all the way along. But when it comes to it, she hesitates because of the stench. And then there's nothing especially significant about the four days here, except to say that Lazarus is really dead. Even if he had just been in some sort of a coma, by this time he would have died from dehydration. Some rabbis taught that a person's spirit after they die will wait for three days just to see if they will come to life again. But then after three days, as soon as the body begins to rot, then it's final. That's really the end. So in in short, there's, there's not really any way around it. Lazarus is dead. Jesus responds to Martha by reiterating what he's been saying all along. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Once again here, Jesus is playing between the illustration and a deeper spiritual truth. He is saying, believe in me, and you will see something remarkable that's about to take place. He is not saying that the miracle would only work if the sisters, let alone Lazarus, have had faith strong enough. Yet he is also saying, to all those standing around, have faith and I will be your life. That's been the message of everything leading up to this point. And just before Jesus works a miracle, we see him praying. And we could spend a whole sermon just looking at this prayer of Jesus's. But once again, the emphasis is the faith of the crowds. Jesus wants the people to believe. As soon as Jesus finishes praying, he stops and he calls out, Lazarus, come out. Imagine the scene for yourself. I'm sure for a few seconds you would be able to hear everybody's heart beating. Nobody dares to whisper. There must have been some people there who were thinking, Jesus must have really lost it this time. Then all of a sudden there's some shuffling, and Lazarus stumbles into the light all tangled up in the strips of linen. Picture the screams of terror, the amazed muttering as this happens. And only then the significance of what has just happened begins to sink in. Death has fled at the voice of the one whose name 
is resurrection and life. A dead man has just stepped into daylight at a word of promise from Christ. What did Lazarus do in the story? He came out. What else would a person do when he's been raised to life? And it's not a stretch to see this as part of the parable that Jesus is using to teach his main message. Because Lazarus wasn't the only person that found resurrection that day. Look at verse 45. Some looked at Lazarus and understood the good news of promise that Jesus had given to them. But for some, it wasn't even enough to see death put under the feet of someone who has authority over death. Miracles aren't a powerful enough witness to raise people to life. Only the gospel of Christ does that. Like Martha, like the disciples, Jesus had to create faith in those people by the word of promise that he preached. And the story, in some ways it ends there. But in other ways, it's just the beginning of the story. The story goes on. If you glance down at the next few verses, this one action of Jesus sets in motion a plot to kill him. And this is one plot that will succeed. Listen to Caiaphas' words. You know nothing at all. This is from verse 49. Nor do you understand that it is better for you, for you, that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Did you see that? Jesus became life for one man who is completely under death's power. And that event became a catalyst, a spark for Jesus, the resurrection and life, to temporarily let go of life and taste death. After which, of course, he would become the resurrection and in doing this, he makes a way for countless people of all nations to leave the grave behind and cling to him and find in him true resurrection and true life. And so what I want to leave you with this morning is this is how Jesus offers you himself, who is the resurrection and the life, the gift and gifts you the faith to receive him. Jesus offers you himself, who is the resurrection and the life, and gifts you the faith you need to receive him. Until next time, 
know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.